You're listening to Playback, a Variety iHeartRadio podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. If you haven't been paying attention, Marvel's Avengers Infinity War is still stacking up receipts after breaking the all-time opening box office record last weekend. Just before release, I sat down with directors Anthony and Joe Russo to discuss their approach to lifting familiar story beats off the page, decimating expectations in a cliffhanger ending, and tying several strands of a decade-long narrative together. All of that and more on this week's episode. So sit tight. This is Playback. bit more are you kidding it's a yeah it's like an amazing energy change that's the other thing about that press yeah. tour is nobody saw the movie so it's 23 days it was really yeah. hard can't really talk about what i want to really talk about i wait too for the film also it's like it, you know you get pushed into this like because you have to be vague you have to it's not only being vague but it's being like intentionally vague so vague that you're misdirecting you know what I mean like or perhaps even almost giving something more away than if you had just been a little more candid or could have been a little more candid yeah yeah because you're trying to tiptoe around something and people are like are you talking about this or that yeah exactly so it's like it is a big change change how close we have to be to like Uh, as close as you can so if you're able you know I I tend to just kind of do this yeah Yeah. have you have you seen the movie yeah I saw it yesterday morning (laughs) so At least you're talking to somebody who's seen it finally. Yeah. Uh, Tony Brother, we've had Tyke on, we had Ryan on. Cool. So. Can I bring you just a little closer? Yeah, yeah. Just get it. Just kind of tucked in. Tyka's a riot. Oh, a very funny guy. Tyka and Jeff Goldblum yeah. have given this guy more looks oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. than yeah. I've ever Tyka just, is, uh, Yeah. Just starting doing stuff like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just giving like exaggerated looks yeah. and stuff. Yeah, he's a good, you know, he, he has a good performing gene in him. Yeah. And Jeff Goldblum, man, I, were you at the uh, press conference that we did? No. He hosted the press conference oh, at the he? Junket in L.A. this weekend. He was amazing. He's so funny. I love him. You just have him host every press conference. Yeah, yeah exactly. Jeff was here for a while. He was here for like an hour and a half. Yeah, he was just like he didn't have anything to do until like hours later in Santa Monica. So he was oh, wow. just took a ton of photos with him. And yeah, it was like six six thirty, you know, after business. And yeah, everything, so he's awesome. Really cool. Yeah, he's he's one of the coolest. Just have amazing stories. It's a whole other energy that you're yeah. warped into yeah. when you're talking to him. Yeah. It takes him like half hour to shake it after yeah. he, he leaves. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's, he's just, like he's, he's just, on his own plane. Yeah, man. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you got it all. All right, so let's go right back. I'll just spread out a little. Oh man, you guys are good on time, right? You yeah, yeah. Time? Yes, we we are we are fine. Sweet. Thank you. <clears throat> Let him wrap up, and we'll start. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Thanks, man. Thanks, man. So, we're recording, you know, we've got a casual intro thing we do. Sure. So, I'm here with Anthony and Joe Russo, the Russo brothers, directors of In- Avengers Infinity War, which, uh, you know, I made this joke when we had Ryan Coogler on the show, is a film I'm sure everyone's heard about, and if you haven't, 
where you've been. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show, guys. Thank Our you. pleasure. Thanks Thank you. Um, the movie comes. Out, the movie's out now, actually. So uh, you know that. Having been said, I'm sure a number of people haven't seen the movie. So if you haven't seen the movie yet. You might want to come back to this conversation, you know, <laughs> leave it, come back later after you've seen it. We're not going to dive into big spoilers, but you never know what might come out in the conversation. So just to let everyone know at the top so no one yells at me. But, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, guys. Really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. You guys, uh, Anthony and Joe, obviously you directed the, the Captain America sequels, Winter Soldier okay. and Civil War. So, you know, my first question here, I, I haven't looked into this. I was curious just where the conversation shifted from that to, hey, do you guys want to take over the flagship? Do you guys <laughs> want to take over the – like, how did, how did that happen? Uh, that was while we were in post, I believe, on Civil War. Yeah. Uh, we a, you know, we've had a lot of great experiences with Marvel. We get along really well with everyone over there. Um you know, we we enjoy working there. They give us an incredible amount of trust. Uh, let us tell the stories that we want to tell, uh, and uh, and we have a great relationship, a collaboration with uh, Marcus McFeely, the writers Christopher mm-hmm. Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who wrote all four films that we've done with Marvel. So we're a little bit of like a sub studio, uh, um, like a little hive mind that um, that started in the uh, in the cap. Uh, universe, but slowly those films started to absorb the main Avengers storyline. So, it, I think it, to them it made sense that we should only continue what we had done in Civil War into an Infinity War. You know, and the ending of Civil War, you know, uh, with the Avengers divided and the relationship between um, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark destroyed. I think, you know, it was such it seemed like such a uh, a great setup. Mm-hmm. For the Avengers finally facing their greatest threat in Thanos, mm-hmm. that there was just a natural narrative progression there, and you know, once like Joe was saying, I think basically it's like once they saw the first edit of Civil War, I think that's basically when the conversations began. And certainly, that. Civil War proves that you guys can handle all these different and, and your TV work as well, but these different threads, these different characters, because this is a movie that has this massive ensemble. Civil War was kind of like wading into that already, right? Yeah, very much. I mean, that was a, that was a huge ensemble. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, even even Winter Soldier was an ensemble, really. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's like seems like every time every movie now we've more you know doubled more doubled or more than doubled the size of the ensemble. So yeah, Civil War uh, was a uh, you know we definitely uh, look. Joe and I have always thought about our creative process. We, we've like an, analogized it to like uh, being mad scientists. You know, we like to take disparate elements and uh, kind of smash them together in unusual ways and just see what that makes, mm-hmm. see where that brings you creatively. And I, I think that you know, starting with Civil War and certainly continuing through Infinity War, that has been the very process of like making these movies because we have been taking these characters from different different films, different tones, different styles, and figuring out how do they exist in a single film together? What does that do to them when, yeah. you, when you mix them? And, uh, yeah, so, that's, so I think, uh, yeah, we, we began that process in Civil War. Even that having been said, I mean, like I said, this is a movie with so many moving parts, uh, so many threads to pull together. Uh, the most impressive thing to me is that the balance that you strike is so... Uh, it, it, it's it's solid. I mean, there's there's no like everyone has not just their moment, but their arc. Everything feels full. It's not like things are just nominally dropped in because we want to get all these little things in there. Like everything, the balance is really captivating to me. And it's maybe it's partly a screenwriting question, but you talk a little bit about that finding the balance when you have this many moving parts. And on top of that, I'm curious if there was ever a moment in the development where uh, you know you just felt completely overwhelmed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We have a very disciplined <laughs> process that um, um, uh, that uh, is part of our collaboration with Marcus McFeely that involves getting in a room together, the four of us, for months on end, discussing story, character, uh, potential arcs for characters, where do we leave them last, where do we want to leave them, what are we trying to say with the film. Thematics are really important to us. And usually we can't proceed with the story until we understand the theme is that we're we're trying to um, trying to chase. Uh, and I think uh, you know this is it, it's an incredibly disciplined process. It's one that Ant and I forged uh, through years of producing television. It's got a bit of a writer's room approach to it. Uh, we have a screen, we have a computer. It's, you know, like I said before, there's a hive mind in a room, mm-hmm. and uh, and we're all collectively talking story and bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, and we all have, uh, you know, we're all well versed in the Marvel universe at this point. So the process is putting, you know, characters up on a board, discussing them in great detail, each one of them, uh, talking about who fits in the story, who doesn't. It's very important to us that we find the characters who have the emotional connection to the A story. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this movie in particular, that that's Gamora, uh, Thor as well. Um, Vision and Wanda. Vision and Wanda. Vision, obviously, because he's wearing one of the MacGuffins, or he has one of the MacGuffins in his head. Uh, Gamora has a pre-existing relationship with Thanos. Thor uh, has a a vendetta against Thanos. Um, So, you know, you you, you fish around till you find that that, um, emotional connection to the villain. Yeah. Uh, And then you build in all the other characters around that. Tony, I mean, this is what's unique about this movie. It could not have been made with 18 films preceding it. It's just a a unique uh, attempt at narrative uh, in a way that, uh, you know, could only exist uh, with with this giant mosaic uh, preceding it. So the, you know, Tony Stark has a history as a futurist, um, uh, he's got a, you know, predicting uh, um, uh, the end of the Earth uh, and that that threat will come from uh, space. So mm-hmm. he already had a built-in arc mm-hmm. relating to Thanos, even though he didn't identify him personally. He, under- he understands what Thanos is and always knew this was coming. Uh, so this is just a payoff of an arc of his. It's, it's uh, um, been in play for uh, for several years now. So. Uh, the, that that's how we slowly pull together the points of view in the story. Um, once we have a script, we then sit in the room again for many, many weeks, and we go through the script, uh, and each day we spend time on each character. Just, you know, like today's Tony Stark day. We're mm-hmm. just going to sit and read the script <clears throat> from Tony Stark's point of view. Yeah. The next day is uh, um, Steve Rogers' day or you know, T'Challa's day, and then, you know, you really comb through and go... What do they want at the beginning? What are they getting by the end? Where are their moments in the movie? What are we trying to say about the character? And it, so it's just like you just, you know, it's a process of just putting coat uh, uh, of paint on the house after coat of paint after coat of paint. Right. Uh, you know, this is sort of kind of the, well, actually, that question about feeling overwhelmed. Did you ever have moments where you have to just <clears throat> step away from this big board of all these threads and clear your head. I mean, you know, it's surprisingly for me, the most overwhelming, uh, part of it was just the very beginning. You know, we started the process by basically, uh, putting, uh, uh, pictures of every single character in the MCU on the wall of our room. 
uh, with Marcus and McFeely. And, you know, just looking at them for days and weeks and sort of thinking about who we could play with, who we could pull forward, where we can push push the characters. And I think just getting started was a little overwhelming because there were just so many possibilities. And I think once we did start, once we started to catch those emotional threads like Joe was mentioning, that then all of a sudden it sort of got much easier and it started to flow and we started to have a... um, have a have a narrative spine and a and a theme and a concept that we were chasing and then when, once that happened then it certainly remained a lot of hard work but it was no longer overwhelming yeah yeah uh, this is you know sort of the the MCU version of the Infinity Gauntlet story obviously written by Jim Starlin a big product of a number of childhoods my own included I yep. went back and read it again before the movie just because just out of curiosity to see what might be plucked from it or whatever I'm always curious with comic book movies what kind of graphic uh, inspiration comes from what's on the page. Like, will, will there be an attempt to duplicate a frame or something like that? Something that might be iconic. I mean, there's certainly the way the line "Thanos is coming" is handled is an yep. interesting shift from the character that says it in in the uh, story. But uh, just as directors and trying to figure out visually how to tell the story, do you kind of look at frames and say this would be an interesting thing to lift or no? Because the more I look at a lot of these movies, there's not a lot of that going on. There's some. Some, and it depends. Exactly. It's a director-to-director thing. Yeah. And we grew up on comic books. We love them. I still have 3,000 comic books in my closet. You know, so this is a, you know, we, we are comic book fans. However, you know, uh, filmmaking is an incredibly different uh, uh, media than, uh, than a book. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, we're not telling the story of these books. We're telling the story of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it's been laid out over the last decade. So... Uh, you don't want to get trapped into trying to replicate specific story elements that uh, don't correlate mm-hmm. to what we've been doing uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, um, you know, we will... There's certainly there are lines that inspire us or there are frames that we'll put up. And Civil War is a frame where... famous frame from the book with... Uh, with uh, Tony blasting Cap Shield, and, and we—I think that's probably the only time. Oh, maybe um, Ant Man on uh, Hawkeye's Arrow. You know, it's very rarely that we will actually go. Oh, oh, this is an amazing frame from the book. We got to put this in the movie somewhere. I think there's one moment in this, but it's not. You know, it'd take you a view or two to catch. But it's when um, T'Challa punches. Uh, um, uh, what we're, who we're calling Cull Obsidian, but was Black Dwarf in the books and the Hickman run. Also, when Tony uh, takes the shield, when Thanos is blasting him on Titan. Oh yeah, that image as well. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So there, but, but yeah, I would say the image we treat the images kind of like we treat the ideas that are in the books or the lines, like Joe was mentioning. They're mm-hmm. all so they're all sort of exciting to us and are all valued by us. But you know, in the process of telling an original story in the movie, you know. You can't really. There's only a little bit of that that you can actually hang on to. Yeah. yeah, there's there's kind of subconscious things you can play with though, like color palette. Do mm-hmm. you look at the colors of what's in these books and say, you know, obviously the characters have their own schemes, but just you know, environments and things. I asked Taika about this because his movie was such a big kind of Very visual colorful, splash. Yeah. But uh, talk about that. Just the colors of the book. It wasn't. I mean, specifically in Winter Soldier and Civil War, those movies were of a piece for us because we were retoning and deconstructing Captain America, and there were the intention was for them to be brutalist, devoid of color. We wanted them to be less comic booky and more gritty yeah. and edgy and real. Um, so we were we were trying to uh, simplify the uh, the color palette on those movies. 
Um, this film in particular, uh, we didn't draw anything specifically from the books, but it, it's a very different film. Uh, and it's in the point of view of Thanos, who's a giant purple alien. So, uh, And you go to a lot of really exotic cosmic locations. So it's a much more colorful movie. And we use color as a way to distinguish uh, locations in the film so that you mm-hmm. had a clear understanding of when you were one place and then when you had left that place and gone to another place. Uh, anyway, incredible, uh, maybe the best uh, production designer in the business right now, a gentleman named Charlie Woods, who uh, who designed all of these exotic locations for us. So um, we didn't really draw uh, artistic inspiration from the books. We drew, I think, thematic and philosophical and uh, uh, inspiration as well as a couple of key lines. Yeah, but it could, we were, we are making so many distinct changes from the books. I think that's you know really what we do is we tailor color and texture to the to the essence of the narrative that we're trying to tell, and very often that is significantly different than the book. Yeah, you know, and that, and that I think that's what leads us away from the uh, from using relying on colors specifically from the books. Yeah, yeah. You started talking about Thanos there. I wanted to talk about Josh Brolin, yep. who uh, surprised me, and I only say that because. I don't want to say I thought he would phone it in, but I didn't know what he would do with the performance. I didn't know if it would be something that would have the kind of depth that it has. And it's such an emotional performance. It's such a deep character that has just this overwhelming sense of melancholy. And uh, it, I was really blown away by his work. And uh, just he an amazing talk- job. Yeah, with he, the, I mean, he, yeah, I mean he's yeah. an extremely talented actor. I mean, he, look, the, and I think he was very excited by the opportunity to play somebody who had so much uh, violence in him, but also some shred of humanity as well. And I think that, you know, that that sort of uh, that that that's very exciting for an actor because it's such a complex thing to play. You know, to try to to try to bring em- empathy mm-hmm. to a character that is is so evil. Um, and that, and he embraced that challenge and he ran with it. And I also think that he was very excited by the technology, you know, uh, the idea of, you know, performing in a motion capture suit and sort of and us being able to build this fantastical creature, CG creature, but based so specifically on his performance, his facial performance, his voice, his body movements, etc. Um, I think he really, you know. We would analogize it sometimes. It's almost like you're a puppeteer as, mm-hmm. as a performer, and you have to learn how you control the puppet, which is your CG representation of the character. And we spend a lot of time. We had, we had a we had a Terry Notary worked on the film, who's extremely one of the best movement people in the business, and he worked very closely with Josh to get him to understand the relationship between his movements and Thanos's movements, and they would practice quite a bit uh, before we would get to shooting, so they got very comfortable with the character. So it was a very, very involved process, and I think Josh was just excited by the whole proposition. And I think at one point he turned to us and he goes, oh my God, it feels like I'm in film uh, or in acting school again, <laughs> because you're really sort of bringing somebody into a place that almost feels like an acting exercise, or you're doing something you've never done before you just yeah. experimental you know. theater yeah. yeah there's very few actors who combined who, who have that threat of violence and vulnerability at the same time as josh does so i i don't know who else could have played the part really uh and uh, it was our intention to make him very complex to have moments where you you know weirdly empathize with the villain uh, we find that that makes for more interesting villains. Uh, can every villain is a hero in their own story. Right. 
and this movie in particular is told from the point of view of the villain. I mean, you go look at the film and you you know you want to do like a traditional structure breakdown of the movie. It, it all breaks down around Thanos' character, not the heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, which again was something we did just as a way to try to keep uh, the storytelling fresh. Um, and we knew that there'd been so much build-up behind this character that we really needed to describe him as a lot of story real estate in order for him to become that character that everyone was expecting. Yeah. And, and along that, the way we went, well, shit, let's just give him the story. Uh, it just seemed like you know we were creating elements around which the the, the structure was breaking down around him, anyways, or, or you know grafting onto him. So uh, it's a unique film in that regard, and. Uh, and um, you know it is it is his story. Yeah, and it's his ending. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Chris Hemsworth and you know kind of allowing Thor to sort of run away with this movie in a way yep. in terms of certainly the humor, which reaches back to you know Taika's world and finding just kind of discovering that Thor is 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 a humorous character can be a humorous character. And I'm curious what kind of input, if any, Taika might have had in this film as well. So. Taika was shooting while we were shooting, yeah. and that's a massive retone of the character. Yeah. So we knew he was retoning, so we had, we, we asked him, and we're very close with Taika, um, just on a personal level, so we just asked him to come down with Hemsworth and hang out with us in a room for a day with our writers, Marcus McFeely, and just talk about what they were doing, show us some of the dailies, uh, and so we could get a sense of where he was taking the character. Now, it's still a more sobering. It's still a more sober interpretation uh, of Thor, but it has that that element of uh, of Ragnarok to it, the, the absurdist element. Um, uh, and he certainly has his jokes in the film. Uh, but for us, what we what we loved about the character was that he was, um, you know, he, he really Thor has the hero's arc in the movie. If this movie belonged to the heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if events didn't unfold the way that they did, it's it's you know it's his film to win, not Thanos's film to win. Uh, uh, and we like again just having grown up on on comic book characters. Thor was a favorite of mine growing up. He's a very powerful character. Uh, and when you're looking around the the cadre of characters that we have, who could defeat yeah. Thanos? Well, clearly Thor could. Uh, he's got a problem. He doesn't have his hammer, which is a, a, a huge part of his abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, um, we felt like, because of what happens at the beginning of the film, that you know this is now a, a man without anyone. This is a man without a country. Uh, and uh, all, all, all he has in his heart is vengeance at this point. Mm-hmm. So he becomes this, even though he's this absurdist character, he now has this incredible pathos. Yeah, he has a drive. To him as well, yeah, and a drive. Yeah. And it's a, a weird combination of tone that seems to really resonate with the audience. He's an underdog. Yeah. You want him to succeed because there's nothing left for him to do but succeed. It's, it's interesting because Joe mentioned earlier, you know, we, we do have a, we do tend to enjoy deconstruction and, uh, you know, there's an analogy, I think, between Thor and Captain America, you know, the the idea of stripping everything away from somebody, you know, Cap sort of waking up in the modern world and and realizing he's not in sync with the country he's he's been serving any longer, etc. And sort of leaving him at the end of a civil war where, you know, he puts down the shield and, uh, and, and it, Thor, I think, had a similar movement in losing Asgard. And it's like there's something happens when you start to tear away 
all the sort of elements of a, of a superhero, and then who are you left? What's the human being you're left with after that? Mm-hmm. And I think that was something that was very attractive to us in this story that we could explore Thor on that level. Because look, these characters have such remarkable powers. Um, you know, what we always looked to is where are their vulnerabilities, and and quite usually their vulnerabilities are are have to do with their emotional life or their psychology. Where are they in their lives? What's happened to them? And Thor. Uh, between the events of the end of Ragnarok and the things that opened this film, uh, Thor was in an incredibly vulnerable place. Yeah. Uh, and that was, uh, it's very juicy for us on a storytelling level. Yeah. By the way, what's the dynamic like on set with you guys? I mean, you know, directing duos, everybody has their own way of going about things. Just walk me through, like, how, how you would work through a scene together on set. Well, it's the same way we handle an interview like this. It's just um, trading off. Uh, you know, we we believe that the uh, you know um, that you know two minds aren't doubly better than one mind; they're exponentially better. So we want our both of our brains on everything. It's part of our our process. Is uh, is uh, you know we don't divide things up. One of us doesn't have the camera; the other talks to the actors. We both do that. We both have notes for them. We confer with, and then one of us gets out of the chair and goes and approaches the actors. Um, so it's a uh, it's a very informal process. There's no real definition to it. Uh, it's certainly keeping ourselves um, um, inspired and engaged. And uh, you know, a best idea wins. Mm-hmm. We vet every idea significantly um, uh, by you know you know arguing through uh, the best path forward. Uh, and typically, um, uh, we find you know you know through that debate. We tend to find the best answer for us. Yeah. Anyone ever try to play you against each other? <laughs> Not no, successfully. Not successfully. Yeah. <laughs> We've been doing it too yeah. long. Yeah. Uh, you know, wading a little into spoilers, but not too much. Uh, you know, the end of this film is quite dark, yeah. uh, boldly so for a popcorn summer, you know, blockbuster like this. Uh, Which is that exactly why we did it. <laughs> Normally I would ask, you know, was there pushback? To, but obviously Marvel is very attuned to the story they're trying to tell. So why do you think Marvel is so comfortable with leaving a movie uh, hanging in such a dark ma- manner oh, as this? Well, it's st- I mean, look, again, it, it, it's sort of the same idea that when you're dealing with these very powerful characters... They don't become interesting. They don't become human. They don't become relatable, and they don't become rootable until they're until you find their vulnerabilities. So I think it's a very similar concept in that you don't, unless you have real stakes, you're sort of limited in terms of how, what the emotional impact a story can have on you. Um, so, and these movies have been living now for a while. So you have to go to very difficult places in order for these things to feel the stakes to feel real to, to f- for the characters to feel like they have something to lose for the audiences to feel like they have something at risk in the films and i think that's really it is like we don't you know we go to these films i think we're, what we're looking for in storytelling or in art is like emotional catharsis mm-hmm. and you can arrive at catharsis you know it's not simply just getting what you want it's getting a, it's getting an emotional experience that makes you feel and respond to it and and energizes you on some level and yeah sometimes that can be difficult ideas you know i think what that's one virtue of fantasy films is that you can um Sometimes you can deal with, with with difficult ideas more freely in a fantasy film than you can in a movie that's more realistic because it's a little it's a safer zone to play in for mm-hmm. people. You know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily uh, 
it's because it's one step removed from something they may have experienced, you can sort of swim in ideas and emotions that might be more uncomfortable if they were too realistic. We've learned over the years as filmmakers that you know we do our best work with our when we follow our instincts and we tell the story that we want to tell. And you know we've had one or two experiences earlier in our careers where we didn't do that, and we learned a very hard lesson that you know when you try to predict what an audience wants. You're going to make mush, and mm-hmm. when you try to t- when you tell when you commit to telling the story that you want to tell and hope everybody likes it, t- tends to have a much more uh, a much more resonant um, um, impact on the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we started working with Marvel on Winter Soldier, we wanted to do such a radical departure from their first film because we said. You know, the characters moving forward in time, the interpretation of that character that we're interested in is much more edgy and modern than what you had done on the last one. And they said, great, do it. Let's see what happens. And so they've always been risk takers, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and something we used to say all the time as a mantra to them about why we should take risks is, you know, the audience can tell you they love chocolate ice cream. You give them to them every day. They're going to get sick of it real fast. And they're going to get sick of it before you know it. And then, you know, I got, you know, three three chocolate ice creams waiting to go. And, uh, you know, and they don't want it anymore. So you got to stay ahead of them. Right. And, uh, and, and they can't be, they shouldn't be able to predict where you're going. Uh, and surprises are important for that. And so if you look at every film that we've done for Marvel, Winter Soldier had a huge game-changing event at the end of the movie. Civil War had a huge game-changing event at the end of the movie. And Infinity War is a huge game-changing event at the end of the movie. We are interested in pushing the boundaries and pushing the story forward in unexpected ways, surprising the audience as much as we can, and, uh, and as Anth said, creating a cathartic experience for them because ultimately it creates a cathartic experience for us as artists. Yeah. And uh, it's the only thing that gets us out of bed every day. That sort of dovetails with this question, which I was yeah. talking to you off, off the air earlier. But, you know, I won't, I won't name names, but certain characters appear to perish at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm cur- I wanted to talk about just striking the balance between a definitive notion of finality, if there is such a thing with a movie like this, and, you know, the age-old uh, element of comic book characters coming back to life. Because there are certain characters that appear to perish at the end of this movie, and I have to imagine... Your fan base is thinking, they're not gone. They can't be gone because they're aware of the business and sequels that are presumably still in the mix. And, uh, you know, is there a worry of... And I don't know where you're going with it either. That's that's where I'm at a disadvantage you're asking this mm-hmm. question. Yeah. But is there any kind of a worry of insulting a fan base's intelligence with that? By it not seeming... Real by by yeah. them thinking oh well there's no way this character is gone well I can here's the thing it's hard it's hard to answer that question specifically yeah. without getting in spoiler areas but I will say this there is a real commitment uh, on our end to to uh, to, the to, to the stakes okay you know and yes this is a fantasy world and yes remarkable things ha- can happen in a fantasy world but. They some come some at, of those stakes are yeah, yeah they come at an incredibly yeah. high cost yeah, yeah. so there are, for us there will always be stakes and the stakes have been progressing uh, from film to film mm-hmm. with us from Winter Soldier to Civil War to Infinity War and I think you extrapolate that they will continue yeah. to uh, to deepen uh, in Avengers Four yeah. Well, that's the thing. You have a whole other movie to yeah. kind of wrap this story up. So I'm at this disadvantage. But when yeah. you, when you end a movie like that, it just it, it raises a ton of questions, which I yeah. guess is the idea, right? And especially to your point of unpredictability. Mm-hmm. 
Ultimately, this movie is this the one that pulls all these various strands together. It's kind of the apotheosis, in a way, of like the Marvel Studios brand, right? It's it's like this culmination. It's big to put a fine point on it, I guess. My question is, can it get even bigger, and do you expect it to? I don't know. I mean, you know, we don't. Th- I, we never think in terms of big, I guess. Yeah. We think in terms of what's the story, mm-hmm. and a culmination story of eighteen films. And a bunch of successful franchises is naturally of a certain scale. Um, I think that uh, you know the ambition of Infinity War in particular was to put them all on screen together, working mm-hmm. together against a common enemy. And then you know, Avengers Four is a different ambition. Uh, um, so, uh, so I don't think that uh, you know if you ever think in terms of like outdoing, I think you, you tend to trip over your own two feet. Yeah. Uh, you really have to commit to what is the narrative here, what story are we trying to tell, what does it require to tell that story. I think it happened naturally happened that you know Civil War is bigger than Winter Soldier and Infinity War is bigger than Civil War, only because the story of slowly pulling the universe together was increasing as it yeah. went. Uh, and um, uh, but that's not a, a, a mandate that we can follow as uh, filmmakers. It, it's a path that leads to uh, to nowhere. I mean, yeah, there's all these new toys essentially to play with now as well with the Fox deal. So is there a place to introduce the X-Men? Is there a place to introduce Fantastic Four? I mean, I feel like a movie like Infinity War, it's not suffering for the lack of Silver Surfer, but you certainly, those who know Infinity Gauntlet are like, Silver Surfer would be cool in this movie. So, you know, is there is there room for that going forward? Well, the, the, where that, look at... I think just as far as where that specific deal is at right now, mm-hmm. it's still it's you know it's not at the point where you you know we can start working with those characters on a creative level yet. Yeah. So, you know we are we again we we'd are love sort of, to we yeah exactly we'd love to and hopefully it will all work out someday. But it's not in the time frame of these movies that we're making right now. You guys have certainly gotten people excited just by mentioning those two words, Secret Wars. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that was a big comic for me as a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, same. I had, you had the action figures? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had every, I had all of it. I mean, it was a... Uh, that, I think, uh, that was probably the most important book to me. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there you go. Hopefully we can see something like that in the future on the big screen. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask... This is obviously the culmination of 10 years of effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel's got something figured out. Kevin Feige's got something figured out. You guys have got something figured out. Uh, others who may be trying to make cinematic universes might be struggling. What kind of advice would you give to someone trying to pull off what Marvel Studios has pulled off over the last decade? Don't do it. (laughs) Not everything everything can be sustained through a cinematic universe. I do think serialized... I think that all of this, I think that Netflix, Marvel, Star Wars, what's going on in the business right now, this massive moment of disruption that we're in, it is really a function of audiences craving new kinds of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I do think that we had a really nice run for 100 years of two-hour, two-dimensional storytelling. But I think over the next decade to decade and a half, you're going to see a radical shift in how stories are told. I would argue that Netflix dumping 10 uh, episodes of a show on a Friday is a new form of narrative. It is a 10-hour narrative, mm-hmm. and you can choose to watch it at your leisure. 
uh, uh, but that's why I think it's so exciting to people because it's another way to digest content and it, that structure is less predictive to them. We have seen so much content that it, any that every you know every average moviegoer it, it has a, a level of sophistication in respect to um, their ability to predict what is going to happen in a movie. Uh, which is why Ant and I spent a lot of time trying to hide the secrets of this film, misdirect through the way the trailers were cut, misdirect with information. You know, it's just, it's too easy for them to intuit what is going to happen. And I think that, um, you know, a universe is a new form of storytelling. This is a giant mosaic. No one's ever done this before. This is unprecedented what Marvel's done. Yeah. These, especially with so many. Um, uh, so many successful franchises, mm-hmm. uh, and a film like Infinity War could not happen without this giant mosaic behind it, where you have all this pre-existing emotional in, uh, interest in the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, if we had to tell all those stories and all their stories and introduce all those characters in one film, it's absolutely impossible. So, I do think that what I would encourage people to do, uh, the advice would be to continue to look for new ways to tell stories mm-hmm. because I think the audience is open to it. And I think that, you know, there's traditionally a generational divide, but I think that this new generation is more, uh, is going to move in, in advanced storytelling in a way that we haven't seen in a long time because of the, the tech advancements in their lives and the way that they are used to digesting content on YouTube mm-hmm. and social media in much more compressed formats. They're more facile and fluid. Uh, and they like emotional commitment to, long, you know, long-term emotional commitment. Um, but there's lots of ways to engender that that don't do not involve building out a universe. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Netflix there. Obviously, Marvel has properties there. I actually wanted to ask you guys, was there ever any discussion? I know there's a, it's two different sides of the coin over there, TV and film, but uh, was there ever any discussion about bringing some of these TV characters into the fold for the Avengers we we made the briefest consideration of it, but it was really just you know in our process of like we when we're alone in a room with Marcus and McFeely we consider every idea you mm-hmm. could possibly you know it's like we like thinking of everything but it seemed like we had the story that had been told within the cinematic universe it was so uh, within the movies it was so specific and so elaborate already that once we started working through the story, we knew our, we had our hands full just with this set of characters and this set of narratives. So it, it was the briefest of considerations. Yeah. And are you guys expecting to stick around after this fourth uh, Avengers movie? Are you going to stay with Marvel? Because that was a curiosity. I yeah, had. we have a great... We've had the best experience of our careers with Marvel. We have a great relationship with them, and we love telling these stories. They're very important to us. So really be a function about what is that story if we do stick around. Mm-hmm. Certainly, it's enticing when you know all these new Fox characters will show up. Yeah. Um, there's a very uh, complex universe to, to continue to build out. We also have very personal movies that we want to go make, but we're workaholics, and you know we tend to put a lot on our plates. And um, you know, I think we can tell our personal stories and and tell some more uh, big stories with Marvel as well. I think there's room for all of it. And the interesting thing about those new the Fox properties is. Not that I'm pitching for a spot in the writer's room, but it's, it's, it's an interesting way you could handle it. Like, this was the build to the team-up, right? Well, right. with stuff like that, you could throw them into the mix, do the reverse. You've got the team-up, and then you could build out separate stories about the X-Men, Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer after that. So it's almost a, a way you can experiment with the reverse of what's happened over the last decade. So That's right. Yeah. It's a lot of fun stuff you could do. I like yeah. the way you think. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, have your people call my people. Yeah, right. 
All right, that's the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe. The movie's called uh, Avengers: Affinity War. Again, if you haven't heard about it, what the hell? Uh, go see it. If you haven't yet, you'll love it. I loved it. I thought it was, uh, again, a fantastic uh, balancing act. So ha- hats off to you both. And thank nice. you again for doing the show. Really Appreciate it. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you.